My uncle's basement housed a terrible secret by Drechnaw. Be careful when you gaze into the abyss, for when you do, the abyss also gazes into thee. I don't think I would have remembered Uncle Ben very well if it wasn't for that one thing. I had a lot of relatives visit us while growing up, but I can hardly recall enough of them to count on one hand. The memory of him that stood out was when he, before leaving, handed me something and then drove off. I still remember. It was a hundred dollar bill. I was only four at the time, and this was the 80s, though as far as I know, I could hand a kid a hundred dollar bill even today, and after inflation, they'd be ecstatic. That's the time when even 20 feels like a fortune. My mother kept it for safekeeping, of course, meaning I never saw a cent of it, but that left a lasting impression on me. I understood even then that my Uncle Ben must have been loaded. I often asked my parents what it was that he did, because I sure wanted to do it as well. The thing is, they never gave me a straight answer. They said that he was a businessman, and other times they would say he was a consultant. The answers never really satisfied me, though. As I got older, I noticed that my parents didn't seem to be hiding that information. They didn't seem to know him very well, either. He visited us off and on over the years, every time giving me another extravagant sum of cash or something else valuable. It made me like him quite a bit more than anyone else who visited, and I'd asked why we never went to visit him. My mother just said that Uncle Ben liked his privacy. Don't get me wrong, though. It wasn't like we grew up poor. It was just that we never had the money to throw around like Uncle Ben did. Fast forward toward the future. I'd moved down to my parents' house and hadn't seen Uncle Ben in years. I'd started my own job, and things were more or less going smoothly when I got a call from the police. Uncle Ben was dead. Now, this was not the first death in the family during my time. Several older aunts and uncles had passed away, though they were always people I'd only have seen once or remotely. This was the first death that hit close to home. Uncle Ben, while not exactly close family, was not a stranger either. I had always, up till that point, thought of paying him a visit near his isolated home, but things always came up before then. It looked like that ambition would remain unfulfilled. But that wasn't what they'd called about. Rather, there was an issue with Uncle Ben's death. He had not died naturally. I went to go see his body, and he was nearly unrecognizable. He had decayed what looked like several months. I was told that he'd been found that way when he stopped paying his bills. There was an odd peculiarity. Several of his organs were missing. His liver, notably, was nearly completely gone, while there was almost nothing remaining of the spleen or the kidneys. It couldn't have been a disease, but there was no other markings on his body, so it was a complete mystery as to how he'd ended up like that, with the coroner saying that he'd never seen something like it before in his entire life. 
I think, though they never told me this, that they thought I might have been involved somehow. Reason likely being that he had left the vast majority of his wealth to me, and it was no small amount. I could have easily retired right then and there. That wasn't all, though. There were quite a things mentioned in his will which were left at his house. I'd have to go there myself to pick them up and sort through them. I quit my job and went for it. His house was really out of the way, I realized, when it took nearly an hour to drive there and I'd seen nothing but greenery all around. The house itself was nice enough, though not quite the mansion I had thought he lived in during my childhood fantasies. I let myself in. The police had done a well enough job of removing the stench of death from the house. I never planned on living there, for the record. I couldn't, not knowing what happened there. I felt like I could get at least a decent price for it, notwithstanding its location. It was still quite messy. It would take a few days for me to pack it all up, but then again, there wasn't really anything much left for me to do. My student loans were paid off, and I had no need for a new job. I slept on the sofa that night. Everything went well, though I did notice a few bites on my skin the next morning. This place had bedbugs? Better to sleep in the car, then. I started sorting things out. It was rather incredible just to see how much junk Uncle Ben had accumulated. Some of the things I had no clue as to how valuable they were. They looked like junk, but could have just as well been antiques for all I knew. Upstairs, I found a safe of his. I would have struggled with the combination, but as part of his will, he'd left a note regarding it. There was nothing too valuable inside, just a few papers addressed to me. Jonathan, I've left these here for you the day that you come here to inherit what I have. But that isn't limited to just money, Jonathan. I wish for you to inherit my business as well, if you want. It's too precious of a gift to leave lying around, after all. Perhaps you will come to judge me harshly. For what it is that I do, but from what I've seen of you, Jonathan, you and I are quite alike. I'm sure you'll see the rich benefits that this gift can provide you. I don't really know how it started or where it began. Maybe this house was used for an old U.S. military project and was then abandoned or something along those lines, though I myself have never been able to find anything regarding the house along those lines. The basement of this house contains a set of stairs that leads into it. Every night from the period of midnight to 1am, the staircase doesn't lead down to the basement. The next part is hard to explain. Imagine that all the staircases in the world were connected somehow, kind of how computers are connected via the internet. But not just all the staircases that exist now, every single staircase that has ever existed at some point in time. If you go down to the last step, although the staircase looks no different, you'll find yourself warped somewhere new, somewhere you could have never imagined. Of course, there are two things you need to be careful of. One, you have to go back the same way you came before the clock strikes one. Take a watch with you. If you fail, you will be stuck wherever you ended up. Two, 
As long as you are somewhere else, other people can also find themselves back here in the house. The staircase is two-way, though. As long as you don't go down first, nothing can come up, and once you've come back, nothing else will come up either. It closes whenever you don't go down there. That is the secret to my fortune. All that you see around you in my house, most of it at least, is stolen. Stolen from different people in different periods of time. I've seen the Aztec Empire, the Palace of Ramses II, the ballroom of the Titanic. Do remember some places can be dangerous, though. Take a gun if you must. Suppose you can call me a thief. I'd prefer calling myself a collector. As far as I know, there are no drawbacks to taking things. I've never altered history in any way, so far as I know. I've also never tried to take a person or animal back. I would advise against it. Aside from that, have fun. I've amassed a massive fortune this way, and I would hate to see that no one used it after my passing. Needless to say, I didn't believe a word of it. This seemed like an elaborate prank set up by him, and I went on with my day. That night, although I slept in my car, I woke up when I heard some strange noises coming from the house. I got up, but when I went in, I saw nothing. The strange rash on my skin got worse, even though I was sleeping in my car. I was beginning to think that this might not be a case of bedbugs after all. Something weird happened the third night as well. I swore I saw a shadow moving around the house late that night. I was getting rather worried, and my rash was just getting worse. Maybe it was just paranoia, but I decided to give the stairs a try. I had been avoiding the basement for quite a while now, but I thought it would be worth checking out. I didn't go down there past midnight, though. I was far too chicken for that. I went in the middle of the day, and at first, all I saw were a set of stairs. I went down them, and nothing unusual happened. But then, I took a look around the basement. I nearly froze. In the middle of the room was a sarcophagus, an old one like you'd expect to see in a pharaoh's tomb. I went to go approach it, but the moment I tried, I puked. Just being near the thing made me want to throw up. The next night, I made my resolve to go down there when my uncle had advised me to. As I stepped on that last set of stairs, my surroundings changed. A chilly breeze caught up to me, and the smell of the sea embraced me. I was on a ship fairly modern one, it seemed. A cruise ship. Needless to say, I freaked out and ran back the way I came. Thankfully, I managed to make my way back. I shut the door to the basement and then collapsed on the sofa. Today, I feel even sicker than I ever have in my whole life. I started seeing it, too. Something in the shadows that seems to be watching me. I think I realize what happened now. My uncle went to go rob an Egyptian tomb. He took the sarcophagus back with him, but he also brought something else back too. A curse. I can feel it. I can feel it gnawing at my body from the inside, slowly devouring me. 
soon enough I'll become an empty husk. It's been seven days now. I can barely bring myself to stand. I, I don't think there's a cure for what I have, but I have to try regardless. That thing in the shadows, it seems to be coming closer and closer by the day. I can now make out a pair of glowing red eyes and a row of sharpened teeth. I don't even want to think about what it's going to do to me when it finally materializes, or maybe it's already doing something to me, gnawing at me from the inside. Not that I could do anything now, anyway. I don't even have the strength to drive. The only thing I can think of now is to walk down the stairs. Maybe I'll have been a better place than this. This is sort of a last letter to the world. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but... I hope that I can get away from... From this... Thing. A Girl's First Period By Rana Vassilar I love my mother, although there are many things about her not to love. People are often lost as to how my mother and my father met. After all, my father is what most people would consider a typical boring businessman. Nobody would imagine that he went through a wild phase in the 70s, obsessed with drugs and music and independence. That, of course, was when he met my mother, a flower child with the sun wrapped up in her smile. That's how he describes her. According to him, she hasn't changed much, even all these years later. My mother can be wonderful. She's incredibly loving and sweet and compassionate, but she's something of an internal child. She has no concept of responsibility or growing up. She does not have priorities. She simply is. Perhaps that's an admirable trait in a grown person. It's not an admirable trait in a mother. My father swooped in and married her soon after they met. They had me only a few months later. He learned rather quickly that she could barely be called an adult, yet he loves her more passionately than I've ever seen somebody love. They are happy together, and that suits me just fine. For the most part, my father was a sufficient parent. He took care of me in ways that my mother never could. My mother's involvement in my life was more as a friend than anything else, but there were still times that her influence was a little less than wholesome. You see, my mother was incredibly superstitious. When I was very young, she taught me all the normal rituals that are a part of every child's life. Step on a crack, break your mother's back. Never break a mirror. If you spill salt, throw a pinch over your shoulder. Never say Macbeth in a theater. Never get out of bed at 3 a.m. For the most part, they were harmless. <laughs> there was one, one that stuck with me like a bad taste in the pit of my mouth. One that I'll never forget. It's a little embarrassing, but it has to do with my period. See, I got my period before most other girls in my class. I was 12, but my mother assured me that it was normal in our family. Early bloomers, she said, when referring to herself and her own mother and sister. I remember the day I got my first period so well. 
I got it in gym class, and the gym teacher found me crying in the locker room, too embarrassed to try and seek out a pad. I actually got sent home early, and my mom came to pick me up and take me to get ice cream. We were sitting in McDonald's with our soft serve when she became very serious and said, Alyssa, now that you're a woman, there's something you must promise me. It's very, very important, and if you don't promise to do it, then I'll never forgive you. That never forgive you threat wasn't new, but I was still young and I would do anything for my mom's approval. So I nodded with big, solemn eyes and waited for her to continue. From now on, whenever you get your period, you have to do two things. You have to change the sheets on your bed to start. They have to be white. You also have to hang white sheets from every window in your bedroom. I was confused by that, but when I asked her why she had given me these instructions, she held up a finger and said, Don't ask questions. This is for your own good. When I got home that day, my mother helped me change the sheets on my bed and hang some fresh sheets from the window. It was unavoidable, of course, that I'd bleed through my pajamas onto those pristine white sheets that first night, but when my mom caught me trying to change them in the morning, she slapped my wrist and scolded me. You mustn't change those sheets until your period ends. But I don't want to sleep on them like this, I protested. Tough, said my mother with an uncharacteristic harshness. I was upset and a little disgusted, but I obeyed her orders. For years, I slept on bloody sheets once every month with ghostly white one covering the single window in my room every night. At first, I thought it as something I had to do, simply because my mother said it was best for me. As I grew older, I began to hate the ritual. But the few times I tried to talk to my mother about it, she immediately became aggressive, screaming at me until I submitted to her strange will. I was too embarrassed to try talking to my father about it, so I suffered it in silence. I didn't tell anybody about it until it was well into adulthood. Like I said, I love my mother, but she has her flaws. By the time I got to college, my period routine had been well and firmly established. The first thing I did when I saw those red blotches in my panties was change my sheets and cover my windows. It was almost an impulse by that time. Everything felt wrong in some way if I didn't complete this task. That's why I didn't think anything of it when I got my first period in my dorm room. I'd started pinning a sheet to the window when my roommate walked in. Uh, what are you doing? She asked. Lizzie was a great roommate, and we'd hit it off right away. We'd practically become best friends overnight, but I was still reluctant to tell her about my mother's ritual thrust onto my shoulders. I, uh, this is, uh, well... I started stumbling over my thoughts as I tried to get something coherent to come out of my mouth. It's just something I do occasionally. I promised my mom a long time ago that I'd keep doing it. That explanation sounded lame, even to me, but Lizzie seemed to understand intuitively that there was more to the story, more that I didn't want to share just yet. She nodded and went about her business, making it a point to not ask for any more details. I was relieved, but also terribly ashamed. 
I realized that I couldn't keep living the way that I had at home. What if Lizzie saw my bloody sheets in the morning? No doubt she'd think I was disgusting if she knew I was sleeping in my own period blood. God, I could see the look on her face with my mind's eye. I resolved then and there to stop with the stupid rituals. After all, I was 18 at this point, no longer a child. My mother didn't have to know I disobeyed her. Lizzie didn't comment when I immediately ripped down the sheet that I'd just been tacking up. I felt a little guilty as I stuffed extra sheets under my bed, but reminded myself that it would all be worth it in the end. My life wasn't always normal, but it could be. It was all my own now. I could have anything I wanted. And I wanted a normal goddamn period without any of this weird supernatural shit that my mother was obsessed with. That first night passed with relative normalcy. Lizzie and I went out to a few parties, stayed out until about 4am, and then crashed at a friend's apartment. We didn't get back home until noon the next day, but... I was secure in my knowledge that the world hadn't ended just because I'd done away with my mother's insanity. The next night, though, that was different. I'd let my guard down. I'd almost completely forgotten that I was doing things very differently than normal. It was so easy to forget that hated ritual. When I went to bed, I slept incredibly well and woke up feeling well-rested and alive. That was until I saw the smudges. I might not have noticed them right away, but for the fact that my bed faced our window and the light glinting strangely off the smudges, they looked almost faintly pink in the early morning light. A further inspection showed that the smudges were tinged with dry blood. I traced my fingers to the glass in awe, still drowsy and wondering with idle curiosity which of us, Lizzie or I, had bled under the window. The bloody smudges were somewhat hand-shaped, but the fact that this hand had unreasonably long fingers. I knew that whatever appendage had made this belonged to neither Lizzie nor myself. There was something else that nagged at me, something that broke through my sleepy haze with all the delicacy and grace of a hammer. See, I tried and tried, but I couldn't wipe the smudge away. Because the handprints were on the outside of the glass. A few moments after my discovery, Lizzie was standing next to me staring at the smudges, her brown hair thrown into a hasty ponytail and her pajamas askew. She squinted through her thick glasses, trying to make sense of what she was saying, what we were saying. We're on the third floor, she said, as though I wasn't already aware of that fact. Yes. And there's... There's no way to climb that wall. It was true. There was no jutting bricks, no footholds, no pipes on the side of our dorm. It was smooth and impossible. I remained silent as she studied the glass. So how did he get there? She asked me. I didn't have an answer, of course. Lizzie insisted on reporting the incident to our RA, until I managed to convince her not to through my tears and supplications. 
I had this strange feeling that somehow I'd brought on those prints, that by shirking my duty to my mother, my guilt had become manifest and tried to claw its way through the window. This, of course, was pure insanity, but I suddenly felt that everything was my fault. And what was my fault was my responsibility. I tried to convince myself that I was being unreasonable. The prints were an anomaly. Maybe a bird had flown into the window and left a weird mark. Several birds. That had to be it. I told myself if I ignored the problem, it would go away. Still, I had a hard time sleeping that night. Eventually, I managed it. The last thing I remember is the numbers 343 glowing on the clock next to my bed. This time, when I woke up, there were no bloody smudges on the glass, no new ones anyway. Instead, there were bloody prints all over the floor of our dorm room. Lizzie saw it before I did. Her scream woke me up. I watched her cower against the wall by her bed as I stared at the tracks of blood. They descended from the window that led the way across the floor to my bed. Lizzie turned toward me and her face went completely white. As if on cue, I rose to my feet and rushed toward the small mirror hanging above our sink. There were streaks of blood on my face as though something with long fingers had caressed my cheek in my sleep. That was the deciding factor in my little experiment. With shaking hands, I tacked a white sheet over the window. There was blood on my bed sheets from my nighttime visitor, but I left them on my bed. Lizzie was too shaken up to question any of this. We spent the rest of the day scrubbing our room clean. We still didn't tell our RA. Lizzie didn't stay in our room that night. She opted to go stay over at a friend's place. She told me they were studying all night and she really couldn't blow it off. She was lying, and I didn't blame her. I wasn't planning on sleeping that night either. I turned on the TV, pulled out my chemistry book, and sat in front of the window. I was desperately hoping that I was just crazy. How easy would everything be if I was just insane? Another part of me was hoping that whatever nonsense my mother had spewed was true that the sheets would protect me. But then, there was a darker question. What is it exactly they were meant to protect me from? I got my answer around 3 a.m. It was introduced by nothing more than a shadow cast against the sheet over the window. If I hadn't been staring intently, I might not have seen it. So many things I might not see if I wasn't looking. Oddly enough, it makes me want to sew my eyes shut rather than become more observant. Back to the shadow. It was bulbous, swaying back and forth like a cobra. I saw something rise up next to it and heard a tap, tap, tap against the window as though it was confused by the change from the previous night. It stayed there, a menacing shadow tapping its way into my life. I swear it wasn't of my own accord that I stood up and moved toward the window. There was just 
something inside of me that I had to see what it was. I thought maybe it would be less frightening if I could see it. I could put a face and form to whatever had been injecting chaos into my otherwise dull life. Sometimes seeing something is worse than not seeing it. I approached the window, my hand reaching out tentatively for the corner of the sheet. The shadow had stilled as though it sensed my movement, sensed my apprehension. Perhaps it thought to lure me in through a false sense of security. I grasped the corner of the sheet with the very tips of my fingers, not wanting to get any closer to whatever was on the other side than I had to. I took a deep breath, and I lifted the sheet. One glimpse was enough. Its skin was gray as ash, but streaked with blood that seemed to leak from its very pores. Its eyes were a kind of glaring white. They were set deep in its sockets, surrounded by black bags that made it look haggard and exhausted, hungry even. Its head bulged as though its flesh would pop out through its skin like some kind of overgrown zit. Its maw of a mouth was distorted, sagging open to reveal jagged teeth and two long, rolling tongues. Its arms, in contrast, were stick-like, but held a perceptible strength evidenced by the cracks in its chipped claws it had left on the glass window. The rest of the body was invisible to me. All I could see in the darkness was a lump-like figure lurking under the window. It blinked at me. First one eye, then the other, as though its muscles and nerves were tangled and confused. It breathed heavily through the tiny punctures in its face where its nose should have been. Though it had no pupils, I could feel it staring at me. Daring me to reach out the window, even just a millimeter, to satisfy my curiosity that it was real. I yanked my hand back and screamed, letting the sheet fall back against the window, obscuring the thing pressed against it. I watched as its shadow remained just for a moment, its finger tapping against the glass again. And then, as abruptly as it had arrived, it left, presumably to slither or crawl or leap down the building. I wasn't sure which. It was several hours before I was able to wrench myself away from the window and throw myself into my bed, comforted by the bloody sheets that I used to hate. I called my mother the next morning. I called when I knew she'd still be asleep. I thought her grogginess might work in my favor. Until this point, she hadn't been forthcoming with any information as to these rituals she'd required me to perform. I had no reason to believe she would now. Unfortunately, as soon as I demanded she tell me the truth about my period, she was wide awake. And I was right about her not wanting to give me any more information than necessary. Don't worry about it, Alyssa. Just keep doing what I told you, she said. What, forever? You expect me to put up with this? This thing outside my window until I hit menopause? My voice was shrill and panicky, but only as long as it took my mother to answer. No, not forever. One day... It will leave you. 
Until then, you must protect yourself. I was breathless. When? When will it leave? How will I know? No more questions. My mother's voice was stern in a way that it almost never was. When I tried to argue, she hung up on me. Typical. I didn't know where else to turn. My grandmother could have given me answers if she hadn't died a few years prior. My father probably didn't know a thing about it, not that I'd ever work up the courage to ask him anyway. I thought about calling my aunt, but she never liked me much, and I was far too embarrassed to ask her about it. I was alone, it seemed. So I did the only thing I could do. I lived with it. I kept the sheet over my window at all times, not just during my period. I slept on bloody sheets once a month. Unsurprisingly, Lizzie didn't want to live with me after that first year. From then on, I had a single room. I didn't mind. It made things easier. I lived with that thing's shadow hanging over me until I was a junior. That was when I made a terrible, awful mistake. That mistake's name was Mark. Mark was a pretty cool guy. I went on a few dates with him, hung out at a few parties. He and I drunkenly made out once or twice. We had this unbelievable chemistry between us, and I found myself feeling things for him that I'd never felt before. So, when he invited me over to his dorm to spend the night watching movies and hanging out, I knew what he was hoping would happen. I wanted it too. I was ready. I was prepared. If nobody's ever told you and you haven't experienced it yet, let me just say that your first time having sex isn't a super magical experience. There was some awkwardness, and fuck, there was pain. It wasn't too much, but it was bad enough to cause just a little bleeding onto his sheets, which made me feel terribly embarrassed. He didn't mind, though, and the more we uh, practiced that night, the better it got. Overall, it was the best experience losing my virginity that I could have expected, all things considered. I'd left early that morning around 5 a.m. because I had a class at 8 and needed to shower and get ready. He had the day off and passed down his bed as I was getting dressed and heading out the door. I remember now casting a smile back at him and thinking about how happy I was that I had that experience with him. That was the last time I saw Mark alive. I saw the ambulances outside his dorm as I walked back from class that afternoon. Word traveled quickly on campus and Mark's name was embedded in the gossip. Quite a few students in the dorm had seen the damage to his person as they waited for the cops, so everyone on campus knew what had happened. Well, no, that's not quite right, actually. Nobody knew what happened. They just knew what the results were. Mark's body had been flayed open, the skin on his torso ripped to shreds to expose his chest cavity. I heard from one person that his eyes were still open, his mouth frozen in a mask of horror. 
I heard from another person that his hands were dug into his own chest as though trying to hold the little shreds of skin together. But the strangest thing about it all was the blood. Namely, that there was none. Other than the little spot of blood I left on the sheets, there was no blood left at the scene or on his body or inside it. As you can imagine, I was called in for questioning after my DNA-soaked bloodstain was discovered, but it became apparent very quickly that I hadn't done it. Couldn't have done it, in fact. Nobody knew how he'd been murdered, how he'd been mauled without shedding any blood, or where the blood had gone in the first place. There was simply no evidence of a violent crime. Other than the body, of course. But I knew. Somehow, deep in the pit of my gut, I knew there was a creature out there who could kill and maim and would greedily drink down all traces of blood. That weekend, I drove home to see my mother. I barged in the front door into the living room where she was watching some crummy soap opera. She knew when she saw my face that something had happened. In fact, she had to know what it was that was troubling me, but she played coy. I collapsed at her feet in tears, sobbing about what happened to Mark, my boyfriend, I'd said, which was kind of maybe true. She wasn't rigid at that. You had sex with him. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. I looked up at her. Her eyes were grim and dark, bleak in a way that I'd never seen. I nodded and she sighed. Alyssa, you must understand. You have to. This is the way of our family. The way it has always been. The way it always will be. I shook my head slowly. I I don't understand. My mother stood up abruptly and walked to her room. I trailed behind her as she pulled open her nightstand and took out a letter. It was addressed to me. Your grandmother can explain it better than I can. She left this note for you. I hope you'll understand. My mother left the room as I stared down at the crumpled envelope, turning a bit yellow with age. I tore it open, my fingers angry and trembling. I pulled out the letter and I read. Alyssa, your mother requested that I write this letter for you. I agreed because there's no way she'll be able to explain things to you. With the way she is... This is the best path. I'm sure you're wondering why we've never told you before, why it had to be this way. I do not know much, but I will tell you everything that I've been told. Many, many years ago, your great-great-grandmother made a terrible decision. She was a barren woman and wanted nothing more than her own child. She prayed to God for a baby. When he did not answer, she prayed to the devil. And the devil delivered her a promise she would bear a child. What she could not have known was that we would be plagued by a curse, a monster for the rest of her bloodline. This monster thrives on purity, on its loss. The blood you spill once a month 
It's a sign that you are a woman, no longer an innocent child. It craves the blood the way we crave air, life. The white sheets, the stale and lifeless bloodstains, those things hold it at bay for reasons that I cannot understand. The only way to quell the curse is to give your purity to another, to destroy your own innocence, to give your body to somebody else. Once done, the monster will take that man or that woman who has stolen the purity it craves. It drinks them down like it drinks corruption. If it cannot be the corruption of your body, it will feast on it. Melissa, we couldn't tell you. To tell you would have been a worse burden than to let you live without this dreadful knowledge until the time was right. If you had remained virginal, chaste forever, it would have come for you. You had a great, great aunt who made this mistake. Who learned of the curse and chose to bear it on her own. She suffered a terrible, awful death at the hands of the beast that stalks us, do you see? Now that you've given your purity to another, you're free. The beast need never bother you again. But now you must know the only children you will ever birth will be girls, and they too will fall prey to the same monster that has craved you. Whatever you choose to do, whatever you tell them, remember, your choices have consequences. Choose wisely, or see their destruction firsthand. Grandma Little I'm an adult now. I have a husband of my own, but we have no children. He doesn't want them, and I don't either. I will not bring a child into the world to only put her through what I suffered. It took me so long to forgive my mother, to forgive my grandmother. If only they told me Mark wouldn't have died. All these years later, I still believe his death is my fault. It is forever on my hands and on my mind. I would have chosen my own death over his, my first love. But of course, that's why they didn't tell me. And I find now that I can forgive that. Their love for me that let them choose death for someone else. I've wanted to forget this hell. I really have. The curse on my family and what it might mean. To me, it has already passed. I may still live with its pain, but the creature can never haunt me again. So I thought. Until now. Because this morning I learned something truly terrible. Despite the condoms, despite the birth control, despite how minutely careful my husband and I have been. I'm pregnant. And I've got this awful, terrible feeling. That it's a girl.